they are expert in, in arranging financing for these types of, of projects. But we bought this particular asset because... You're listening to The Right Club Podcast, where the focus is all about helping you grow your real estate investment portfolio and live the life you want to live. Come grow with us and join our community at therightclub.com. And now your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi. Hey, Right Club Nation. Welcome back to another episode of The Right Club Podcast. I'm Sarah Larby and I am here with Alfonso Salemi. How are you doing, buddy? Hey, very good, Sarah. Very good. You know, we're, uh, I guess, I don't even know, losing track of the days, losing track of the, the weeks. Uh, as we're recording this, we're in a quarantine time, but we're still getting to uh, interview amazing, amazing guests and maybe some people that uh, are, are, are pretty busy. And because of uh, some self-isolation, some extra home time, we're able to get their time. And tonight's no different. Uh, Ryan Carson, who a lot of the Right Club Nation know, is, uh, is one of our sponsors or our, our legal sponsor. Uh, of the Right Club, as well with Adam Batstone of 2-7 Capital, and uh, really, really great people, uh, really smart people, obviously a lawyer and, you know, someone that's running private equity firms. And I think um, this resonates with, you know, uh, a lot of our group, and especially I think you and I, sir, as we always talk about our own businesses, our own real estate investing careers, is we want to grow and scale, right? And, and, you know, get bigger, better, stronger, all that kind of good stuff. But these guys are doing it at a big level in the private firms, and, you know, this is Talk about a little bit of the intricacies and, and, and the agreements of how it all works. Yeah, I will say, so this is a bit of a more advanced podcast. And if you've been doing this for a while, you've been doing joint ventures for a while, this is almost like that next step. And we talk a lot about different structures, GPLP structures, difference between that and REITs. And uh, it is really quite interesting because a lot of people think, oh, JVs, JVs, and that's great. And it is a good thing to do JVs if you if you can to scale and keep going. But there's other structures out there that have maybe even more flexibility. And, and so Ryan Carson sets them up. And I, you know, I was talking personally myself to George Dubé as well, because as you're doing bigger deals, you may not have JVs that you can just say, well, do you have a million? Do you have $2 million, $3 million for me for this project? It's just a, a different way to structure the deal so that more people can join in. So I thought that was really interesting. I mean, Adam is super smart. Uh, he was a financial advisor for 15 plus years. And I think he said he was working with Ryan Carson for the last 12. They've been working together on investments and, uh, and structuring all of that. And Ryan is very well versed with the JV structure, but also doing the more complex, more advanced type of structures. So there's lots of things out there. I would say this is this is a bit of a, a more advanced podcast, not uh, not basic like maybe some other ones, but super interesting and uh, and great for the investors doing a lot of deals already. Well, and that's exactly it. Whatever strategy, whether it's Burr, whether it's rent to own, whether it's multifamily wholesaling, all the different types of strategies, all the different types of ways to make money and invest in real estate. We want to try to bring the best of the best to, to the Right Club podcast. Sarah and I really take pride in having amazing people that come on uh, to our podcast that we get to interview. Selfishly, we get to amazing, amazing content and amazing info, but we're sharing that with you. So if you do like uh, today's podcast or any of the other podcasts that you've listened to, please name them by name. Maybe we can have a vote go and see which ones are the top popular ones and let's recognize those guests for the time and knowledge that they shared with us. But but otherwise, make sure uh, you do rate, review, share it with some friends, get onto the Right Club podcast, check out the amazing things that we have going on there. The, the Right Club community, online community is really, really growing and taking off and we have such amazing people out there like 
Adam and like Ryan today that are sharing their knowledge and their own expertise. And today is a perfect example of, uh, of, of you know, getting to that bigger point. It is possible and seeing those people that maybe are, are in your future or your own version of that. So I'm really excited to get to this podcast. What do you say, Sarah? Let's do it. Hey, Right Club Nation, it is Sarah Larby here. And before we get started, I wanted to ask you a quick question. Have you checked out The Rock yet? Well, that's our Right Club online community. It's a place where you can find your real estate investing and business answers and network with like-minded people. And we've got interactive forums, all the podcast episodes, hours of videos, a wide range of real estate investing training and education, tons of great information. It's free to join. Be sure to come grow with us at The Right Club dot com now on with the podcast welcome welcome to the uh, podcast we have ryan carson so who a lot of the right club nation knows from uh, being a longtime sponsor with carson law and uh, joining us as well too is uh, adam batstone welcome very much uh, to the uh, podcast gentlemen looking forward uh saturday night having a great chat interviewing thanks for uh, thanks for hopping on tonight Awesome. Awesome. So for those of you that have or may not have listened to Ryan's episode, maybe Ryan, you can give us a little bit of a, a background and then Adam, maybe you can do the same and, uh, and we'll go from there. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. All right, Ryan, why don't you? So, um, yeah, I mean, my first episode, I think was just talking about, uh, primarily, you know, what do real estate investors need to know, legally speaking, uh, you know, what's the role of a lawyer in, uh, you know, the real estate investors portfolio and so forth. And uh, I think whenever you uh, you come into a situation like we're in right now, the unprecedented uh, environment uh, with the coronavirus and COVID-19, um, this is when uh, having a strong uh, power group, as, as people kind of refer to it in the industry, uh, really, really um, allows you to see the benefits of having a great team around you. So, you know, one of those people is always, uh, it's always recommended to have a really trusted lawyer, somebody that can kind of navigate you through some of the ins and outs of contracts, the terms, problem areas. I mean, we're, we're trained to be the proactive advisors to try to keep you out of problems as opposed to uh, have you land into problems. I mean, obviously lawyers sometimes help you out of problems uh, as well, but it's a lot easier and cheaper to, to be proactive. And so if you have the lawyer on your roster at the very beginning and helping you along the way with your other, you know, coaches and mentors and mortgage brokers and accountants, then, um, that, you know, especially in these kinds of times, it's, uh, it's, it's strongly advisable. Absolutely. And I will say, Ryan, you are really focused on investing investors as well, real estates and also the fact that you work with very many of the investors at the right club, help them with their transactions. So I, I think when I ask or I get asked, you know, who would you recommend as a real estate lawyer for investors, you're my first go-to and also a key member of my team too. So Adam, tell us a little bit about what you do. So I've been in the investment business, uh, generally speaking, for almost 20 years. And I started in very traditional uh, investment, very traditional wealth management. And I was back, actually, we're talking, we're, we're, we're recording this during a pandemic. And I started during the SARS pandemic, actually. So my first licenses came during the SARS pandemic. How ironic. Yeah. Um, but I, so I, I progressed through, through very traditional wealth management. So I worked for an insurance company, worked for a large global fund manager, worked for a uh, the wealth management division of, a, of one of our big banks. And then I moved on to a private equity real estate firm where I was a 
partner of a large private REIT. Well, I guess they had three actual portfolios. And now the last uh, couple of years, I've had my own company, so my own private investment boutique. And one of our core uh, investment focuses is real estate, private equity real estate, and specifically multifamily. Right on. So that's uh, that's kind of interesting. So the, the pandemic was, uh, or sorry, the, the SARS uh, was about to almost 20 years ago now, I guess, getting close to that. Yeah, it was okay. 0203. Actually in, in my was. office, you can't see it here, yeah. but I actually have the front page of the sun. Of the Toronto Sun, I was actually at the concert for the the SARS talk. So it seems like not too long ago, right? right. And uh, so for doing, you know, the private investing and in the, the knowledge that you have, what what are some things like in in I guess let's look at it from both ways, from an everyday world, right? That that you know that, that we were up until, and yeah. then now in the midst of a pandemic, the the role that private equity and REITs and for maybe those people that are just private investors that just have one or two properties, what does that all mean? How does it work? What are, what are the basic functions that we should know about that? Uh, well, I think one of the, all the noise that you're hearing in the, in the markets, you're hearing, you're pretty much hearing what's happening in the public markets. I'm not, so stock market, for example, right? Uh, I'm not going to suggest that there won't be some challenges in the larger economic environment. Like I think there's definitely going to be, but I think the fact, I know that most of your, or a good portion of your membership owns uh, single family properties as their investments, whether that's condos or townhomes or single family homes. The good part about that is that those things aren't valued like the stock market. They're not valued every day. So although there may be some challenges of liquidity or, or a sales sales cycle, uh, the value of their assets should be should should be stable at least for for some some time. Uh, so on the private equity side, what we like about it is that our assets are not marked the way that a that a stock is or or a traditional investment is. So uh, we can almost uh, very reliably say that we have zero correlation to the broad markets. So if you're holding the asset class, one of the asset classes that we like being being real estate or private equity real estate, uh, this this noise that you see in, in the market is just not felt as an investor in that space. So I think I think that's very positive. So can you just walk us through like what exactly your business does when it comes to private equity? Like just if if I, you know, wanted to work with you, like how would that how would that all work out? Yeah. So the we can compare it a couple different ways. Compare it first to um, how a, a very common a real estate investor would go in and buy a, a home or, or an investment property. Uh, so that you're, you're going and buying something physically. You're not buying a piece of paper like a, like a stock certificate, right? So you, you've got a physical asset that you've gone out and, and invested in. So private equity is really just the... It, it pulls out the equity portion of, of the of the full transaction and cuts that up into pieces and, and, and hands it out to investors. So, I mean, you, you understand very simply the equity side of your investment, the debt side of your investment. You know, you, you need to put a down payment, for example, on a, on a, on a house or, or a townhouse or whatever the case may be. That's your equity component. And what's growing in value relative to your debt is the equity component. Well, in, in private equity, we just pull that section out and we get investors involved just in that component. So they don't have the debt obligations. They don't have the liability of uh, owning an actual piece of property. They just get to own the thing that grows in value and provides the cash flow. And that's the equity. Absolutely. Piece. And I know knowing that you and Ryan work closely and in his firm as well, 
from the investor standpoint, Ryan, how how am I secured? Or you know, if Sarah and I are investing and in, in putting our money into this type of project or these types of properties, what type of security do we have? What agreements? If you're doing any private equity, what kind of things should investors be be looking for that are in place that to, to make sure that there is a protection element there? Yeah, there's um, there's there's different ways that you could structure it. Maybe I'll just I'll just talk about the way that Adams Group is kind of using the model of real estate as an example, but they use uh, general partnerships and limited, limited partnership agreements. And so very, you know, on a very basic level, what would happen to carry on from what Adam's saying is if I was an interested investor and Adam had this, this project available, I would buy units within his, his offering, right? So within his partnership, I would buy units of that partnership but unlike the traditional model where you buy like an actual house and you have to take the mortgage out and and be a landlord or a general contractor or whatever the case is as adam indicated i actually just bought an investment and he does his company does all the work and all the management and now i'm an owner with any other owners within um that that particular investment and then your security is um, is basically within the partnership agreements. So what the partnership agreements spell out will be the terms in which um, everybody has to uh, operate, everybody needs to be governed by, those will be the legal documents that say, this is who's doing what, and this is the rate of returns people are promising and, and so forth. Uh, you know, these are, my, these are my what if clauses, if I need to, the unexpected happens, I need to cash out, those kinds of things. But it's all within the the legal parameters of the partnership agreements under the structure that Adam and I have worked with um, most frequently. That's not to say that there couldn't be some other corporately used, but um, this GP, LP, general partnership, limited partnership structure is pretty uh, pretty common amongst this kind of development. So I'll just add to that. The limited partnership structure, GPLP structure, is common for any pooled investment. So think of any pooled investment, mutual fund, hedge fund, any anything where you're bringing a group of investors in to participate, the structure is very, very common across the board. And what you may invest in is, is it doesn't really matter. But so the, the, the structure itself is very, very common. Uh, some of the positives for it, uh, for an investor, especially just an everyday investor, your, your common individual investor, is that there it, it offers um, very limited liability, meaning liability from a from a legal perspective. There's limited liability from from debts, so you're not you're not signing on to any debts. The only thing that you as an investor um, have at risk is actually the capital that you've invested into the into the offering, into the investment. So, you, I mean, just like any other investment, you do have the the risk of it going up and down in value. But aside from that. All the other liabilities in this type of a structure are are pulled away, and and all of that risk goes on to the general partner. So that's the person sponsoring or creating the the offering. So that's interesting. So let's take um maybe the last deal that you guys have done, and I'm guessing you work together um, in some capacity. Can you walk us through what that looked like, what it was, um, and how that you know came to uh, to fruition? I guess if you call it. Sure. So our first two, our first two offerings. So these um, first two offerings that we brought to the table were in 2019, and so we did um, we did one that was a, a 66 unit apartment building, and 
we we acquired that one. So we acquired that one actually with an operating partner. So somebody who's a, a property manager and has that as a part of their business. Uh, they're expert in, in arranging financing for these types of, of projects. Uh, but we bought this particular asset because it's a value add. And that's uh, in, in real estate or, or private equity real estate terms, that's kind of like your burr. Uh, that's your burr model, um, but just, just at, a, at a greater scale. So um, that was the first project that we brought. And then the second one was a, uh, a group of townhomes, so a townhouse complex. But we bought that because it was a stabilized asset. It was stabilized income. And we liked the long-term perspective value of uh, that plot of land uh, and and just just the asset itself. So it didn't need to be stabilized. It didn't need to be remarketed. It was just there because it was a nice, strong, stable investment. So just like you may buy individual properties for different reasons, meaning it doesn't need any work and it's, it has the good possibility for cash flow, you, you would invest in that differently than if you were investing in a fix and flip or, or, or something where you want to drastically improve the asset by investing in it, right? You're, you're kind of your burr model. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. I want to take a quick pause from the podcast to introduce you to some of my amazing contractors. On this week's episode, I wanted to introduce you to Rob and Joel from White's Elm Design Build. And Rob and Joel just finished my major renovations on my latest Burlington project. And it was a full renovation and absolutely worth it. They've been super easy to work with. I wanted to give you guys some insights on some of the services that they offer their clients and they focus on Oakville to Hamilton and beyond, but they're really great. Like if you guys are ever in a property and you want to FaceTime or video call Rob or Joel, they can actually give you some insights on what to look for and also how much we are looking at renovations. Because if you're thinking about doing a flip or a burr project, the rhino part is really important to get right to also figure out how much it's going to cost and what renos are going to be needed to get the actual maximum after repair value. So super important. They will gladly do these video calls or conference calls with you guys to give you some of those insights. They're really good at getting back to clients quickly. They can also do physical walkthroughs. If you guys are thinking about purchasing a property or you have it under contract, they can do that with you. They're super professional and uh, they've been very involved in my latest project and uh, really on the ball. So super easy to communicate with. They finished on time, on budget, which is really important as we know. And they've got a whole team of trades. They line them up so that they're as efficient as possible. And they work with a lot of investors, but they also do some of the higher end flip types of projects too. So they work on everything in between. They're fully licensed, insured, WSIB covered. So feel free to reach out to them. They are able to be found at whiteelmdesignbuild.com. That is whiteelmdesignbuild.com. Or you can send them an email, joel, J-O-E-L, at white elmdesignbuild.com or rob at whiteelmdesignbuild.com. Good luck on your next projects. Now back to the show. Okay. So you find the assets and now you say, okay, Ryan, I need to create an LPGP type of partnership because I need to raise money. Is that what happens next? 
Yeah, to a degree. So the, the GP is, is a, just a corporate structure uh, that takes on all the risk. So it can, it can sign for, for title, it can take on debt, um, but it creates the limited partnership. And it is the, because the limited partnership itself is just a flow through vehicle. It's a flow through structure. So it flows through profits and cash flows and liabilities and whatnot. But um, so all of the risk is taken on in the general partnership. The limited partnership as a structure itself is created. And so, for example, it, what I would do is say, hey, Ryan, we, we, uh, we're creating a limited partnership for this particular purpose. And then I would give him uh, you know, kind of the requirements that I'd be looking for in, in, in having it, give it over to him, and then he would make sure that uh, the, the partnership agreements were, were written uh, accordingly for what we were wanting to do with the, with the investment. So what, what would that look like, Ryan, in, in uh, accordingly to, I guess, what Adam would, would require? Uh, well, so like terms within the agreement or, or what? Would yeah, like are there some things that like as an investor, you're like, I really want to have that into the, into the GP LP agreement. I need to make sure that I emphasize these points. Yeah, and I'm only assuming these documents are, you know, a little bit, a couple inches. Pages and terms. pages and pages. Yeah, right. So <laughs> to, to pull out some tough like conditions and clauses, I, I think more, more of the question is if, if I am the partnership, like how am I staying in touch? How do I know? the success, the failure, the, the ongoings of said project to, to make sure that I, and what are my, you know, what are my obligations to do as well? Obviously the investment, but then knowing what's going on and, and the, 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 the communication between the two. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's, it's kind of like what Adam was saying before, uh, before the, you know, it's, it's the burr method, but like on steroids basically. Right. So you're taking the, the legal documents that you normally have with, I don't want to say a simple burr, but you know, a lot of times a burr could just be a single family home that you're, you know, tearing out, renovating, refurbishing, refire, repeat, you know, the, that kind of process. Right. Um, so, I mean, maybe to back up a lot of the terms and so forth that go into the GPLP agreements to formulate the arrangement between the investors and the general partner, which is basically Adam's company, um, or, or typically Adam's company, um, it, it come out of basically like an offering, like an offering memorandum uh, investor debt, right? Uh, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, Adam, like Adam's got basically just like you would see if you were buying any sort of investment, uh, a very detailed offer offering memorandum which basically would give you, you know, the full layout of this is what this investment is. This is what the expected, you know, uh, rates of return are right now. This is what it's going to, this is over. These are our opportunities with it. We could go plan A, plan B, plan C. These are the rates of returns on all of them. Um, they, uh, you know, it, it talks about how much, you know, how much money are you looking at to, to invest? So, a lot of the practical stuff laid out in more, I'll call it layman's terms in those that offering memorandum. And then the legal agreement of the partnership agreements, the GPLP structure basically just takes what's in that memorandum and starts flushing it into the, the, the legal framework, right? Uh, so some of the simple things we would do is, um, 
we would provide a certain type of reporting monthly and a certain type of reporting quarterly and then a certain type of reporting annually. And each one of those stages is a little bit more intricate and, and, and a little bit more detailed. But as the, the sponsors of, of, a, of an offering uh, of a limited partnership, uh, we take it pretty seriously in terms of keeping people informed. And just our own practice, it's not that this is defined in law in any way, but our own practice is that we're as proactive as we, as we can be. And uh, uh, as I said, it's the simple things like we know that this particular type of report is going to go to investors every month and this particular type of report is going to go out every quarter and then so on. Um, some of the things that investors would like to know is, you know, how do I how do I actually make an investment? Like, what is that? What is the mechanics of that look like? Or how do I get out of my investment if, if I want to get out? Yeah, absolutely. And so what's the answer? To, yeah. Because those are great questions. Absolutely. Yeah. No, they, and, and I think if you're investing in something like that, th those are, are really good questions to ask. Now, there is, no, there is no rule around what you have to offer. It's more about the, the, the general partner and what they're willing to do or how they want to conduct business. Let's say, for example, for us, what, if you have a very traditional investment, a very tra traditional investment fund, like a mutual fund, one of the key characteristics of that is the fact that it's liquid and sometimes it's liquid daily, meaning you could, you could buy into that or get out of that daily. Uh, or if it's uh, maybe it's weekly uh, liquidity. Now, some of the reasons why you might want to invest in a, um, a private structure like a limited partnership is because it doesn't offer some of that liquidity. And now you could say, well, maybe that's, that's not a good thing, but what it does is it allows the, it allows the general partners and the sponsors to actually execute on their business plan. But that said, what we, what we offer is um, annual liquidity periods. So that's the way our structure would work. And, and that's because we're, we're a smaller, we're a smaller boutique. So we don't have the liquidity built in. Uh, so we would have to, if somebody seeks liquidity or wants liquidity, meaning they want to get out of their investment, we would be looking for a replacement investor. So now, practically speaking, life also does happen to people. So, you know, unfortunately divorces happen and, you know, deaths in the family and the, these different financial events where people may need liquidity, in which case, if you have a good general partner, that, that should be relatively simple to, to find a way out. But for us, what we say is annual liquidity periods uh, on a best efforts basis. And what we want to do is we want to we want to value the asset before we or value the, the partnership before we provide liquidity because there's going to be growth and there's going to be change over the over the value of that asset over the year. And so we would offer that liquidity period after we've done our annual valuation of the asset and done all of our, our accounting and, and all of that good stuff has been done. So we set the new price, offer liquidity over a certain time period. Uh, but one of the things that I would say is beneficial to a structure like this is these are often more liquid. They should be more liquid than if you just have purchased an asset outright, meaning you've, you, you've gone and you know, acquired a home or acquired a condo unit or, or a townhome. That, that period of time from the time of listing to the time of closing, you're probably around 90 days for something like that. If I'm, is that probably accurate? That's not, yeah, for, for yeah. a single family residential. Yeah, mm -hmm. whereas reasonably speaking in, in a structure like this, you should be able to have your liquidity within 30. 
Wow, that's interesting. And basically, it's almost like like a little own private stock market, right? In in certain projects, like with, like with if really in, in terms of that investing with that liquidity. Now, I understand what you're saying is that the general partners want that liquidity longer for that longer you know runway. So typically, how do you see most of your investors? you know, putting this into their portfolio, is it for long-term for one, two year, or sorry, shorter term for one, two years? Are they looking for five and 10 year? And the type of projects that you said, the value of ads that you're doing, how, how long are those typical projects? Do you kind of see the kind of the fruit kind of keep coming off the off the vine? So our practice is that we would uh, keep a partnership active for five to seven years. We would be looking to, we might not necessarily sell the, the underlying assets or the underlying portfolios but generally speaking we would keep the the partnership intact for five to seven years and that would be the the mental uh i, I guess the the mental path that an investor would want to have meaning i'm going to be involved here if it's if it's good today it should be good if we're able to carry out our our investment plan and and if the economics of the of the asset are true you should want to be involved in this for the length that we're involved in it uh, that said if things do change, we may make a decision as, as the managers where we want to exit, and in which case we would close up that partnership and, and return the capital and, and the excesses to the capital. Did that answer? Yeah, no, I think that, I think that's great. So, you know, I was talking to my accountants uh, a little while back, and I was actually mentioning this to Ryan. We were looking for some development, and we still are, some land to, uh, to build multifamily. And so this is how it all came about. But one of the interesting things was, you know, he was explaining, I guess, the difference between the GPLP structure and REITs. In your guys' opinion, either one of you can answer, but like, why would somebody want to do one over the other? Like, what are the pros and cons in your opinion? As an investor or as, or as somebody being the As somebody, because there's, there's a, well, let's do both, but let's do as somebody that's looking to do this for themselves as well. Because we do have a lot of experienced investors too that yeah. listen to this. If they said, you know, I want to buy a building and I, this is the structure that I want to do, what's, what's the difference between the two and why would one be better in certain situations? I'll start and then Ryan can, can maybe follow up with some, some of the legal side. So if, if you're looking at a multifamily project where you aren't going to need any outside capital or excess capital to, to get it closed, then you probably don't need to add the complexity of a GPLP structure. But if you were considering doing this in a JV of some way, meaning taking on, on other investors, I think you may want to be looking at the GPLP structure as, as a business person because it provides a bunch of security for the capital that you're bringing in, uh, but then also provides you, a, in my in my opinion, a, a pretty good governance model to to handle the project, to handle the relationship with investors. But now, as an investor, would you want to invest in in project this way or a REIT? Well, they all offer they they offer some some pros and cons and some benefits. I think you can look at REITs. There's two different sections of REITs. So a REIT itself is just, it's a, cla it's a tax classification is really what, what it is. So real estate investment trust. It just means that, so it's that's a GPLP structure with a, with a trust wrapped around it. And really it says that you have to distribute most of your profits is really what that thing says. And so a, to, to meet the tax qualification of real estate investment trust, you have to flow your profits through to your investors. So you wouldn't be investing into a REIT for a value add or a BRRRR 
type of an investment, you'd be doing it for the income, for, an for a portfolio of assets that is providing an income. Now you can, you can uh, invest in a REIT that's privately held, meaning it's not on an exchange, or you can invest in a REIT that is offered on an exchange. So the common ones that you would maybe hear or read about in, in the newspapers. You can go into a self-directed account and, and acquire those just the same way you would buy RBC shares or, or, or Bell shares or something like that. Uh, the problem with, in my opinion, the problem with that is the value of those assets that are, that are publicly listed. They bounce around just almost identically as, as the rest of the stock market does. So even though you're invested in real estate, your investment experience is much more closely tied to that as somebody who's invested in the stock market. So, although again, the underlying portfolio might be in real estate, the experience is not. So, the next, the next place you may want to look for is a real estate investment trust that is privately held. And uh, that's where I spent some time on, on, on an offering like that. So, the good thing about that is it's not listed on an exchange and your ex investment experience is not like somebody who's investing in the stock market. And then you kind of move, move further down and this would be not a REIT, but still using the GPLP structure. And that investment experience, in my opinion, is nice and stable just because of how the accounting happens. And, uh, you know, it's quiet. It's, it's, a, it's almost like a, it's, it's a private relationship between you as the, the general partner or the, or the manager and your investor or group of investors. Great explanation. It's, uh, you know, some of this can be quite complex and quite difficult to understand, but you made it seem very simple, <laughs> even though it's definitely. I, I'm, hope, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, yeah, hoping we can do that. You know, lots of real estate investors, like the common traditional ones, which I think would be more like your, your membership, uh, eventually do get to a point where they start looking at these other ways to get involved in different parts of the asset class because they like the asset class. They like the idea, hey, I know that uh, like I can go see that building. I may not be able to go buy an apartment building myself, but I can go buy a chunk of it. Like, and, and, and once they understand that that is um, the, the possibility to do that is widely available. It's, it's widely available and very common, just not widely distributed. So you, you do have to know where you're to go awesome. look for. Ryan, what about you from a, a legal standpoint, REITs versus GPLP structures? Yeah, um, those are great answers by, by Adam. Hard to follow sometimes. And uh, like I would say the, a lot of times, and I'm seeing this a lot with the right club membership actually, um, where we're seeing quite a few, um, I'll call it seasoned investors. They've probably been doing this for, you know, half a dozen to a dozen years or whatever, um, where they've been doing these, you know, duplexes, triplexes, uh, RTOs, you know, for, they've been doing all of that. And I think they're, um, as, as, uh, investors, as business people, they, they're looking for that new, that new opportunity, that new challenge. And so we've seen quite a few people just in, in the last year alone, like in 2019, um, which would, you know, it was, it was great coincidence that Adam and I, uh, took our, took our business relationship into, uh, this, this sphere that he's talking about right now with these projects in 2019, because that's when a lot of these investors were coming to, to me to say, okay, how do I do this? How do I do this LP GP type of structure? How does it work? Um, you know, or can I just do JVs? And I think the one thing that, um, 
I like about the GPLP structure is I think there's, unlike JV scenarios, and this is hopefully nobody listens to this and thinks I'm saying JVs are not a good idea because I'm not saying that at all. JVs uh, serve their purpose just like anything else. There's always a purpose for, for all different types of models. But I think the GPLP structure is a great model for the bigger projects. You know, whether you're on the investor side just looking to invest money and, and have that quiet experience that Adam alluded to where you're like, I see your offering memorandum, I see what the investment is, I've done my due diligence, I've read your material, I really like this, and I like the opportunity of giving you my money, knowing that there's security in place, and just letting you do your thing, and seeing the return. So I think the, the GPLP structure is, is really good for, from that perspective, because with the um, JV agreements on bigger projects, not that they can't work, but um, I don't think you have as much security, like legally speaking, uh, with the GPLP structures, depending on, like every structure is gonna be its own unique structure, but I think, there's a, I think there's a bit more paperwork there, there's a bit more legal documentation, there's a bit more security in play than with the JV agreement. Um, as you guys probably know, we've talked about this in the past in other presentations and seminars, um, JV agreements, at least in Ontario, can't be registered to title. So the JV partner, who's the non-title partner, is really just holding one, piece, one document for security, which is a JV agreement, which um, you know, you, you try to uphold that as best you can, but at the end of the day, your, your only security is, is, um, that, that document and then potentially going, you know, into a lawsuit or arbitration or court or something like that. Right. If it got to the worst scenario. So the GPLP structure, I think can create a little bit more security. There can be more, there can be more uh, written into the documentation, some more insulation from a legal perspective. Um, and then as Adam alluded to as well, there can be a different um, uh, tax structure because you can wrap it with, you know, with a trust. So there can be tax benefits from that perspective. I think from the, like the business owner's side, you know, that was a little bit more from just the single investor side, but um, from the business owner side, I, I think the GPLP structure, if you really, if you really get comfortable with it and you really organize it well, I think it's a way to generate larger pools of money um, without having those single, you know, large contributions coming from just one or two sources. So it diversifies your, your investor pool a little bit more, uh, allows you to potentially raise the capital quicker. So, you know, from a business model perspective, I think that that's helpful as well. It's, it's, you can potentially not drain as many people all in one shot. You can spread people out. Um, and then if people have positive uh, experiences with all your different investments, then obviously they're going to, they're going to tell, you know, better stories and then word of mouth happens and you just become, you know, more wildly successful that way. Right. So, but the one thing I would say from the, from the business owner side of it, if you were wanted to try to set something like this up and Adam and I talked about this a little bit um, before, like we, like we as lawyers, 
on our side of the thing, we can do the corporate structuring and, and the real estate transaction side of it. But if you're just getting started with this or you're not quite sure about it, um, you really need to have a good securities lawyer, at least kind of get you started on the uh, GPLP uh, regulatory requirements because now you're selling like an investment. So you need to make sure you're compliant with accredited investor rules or whatever regulatory rules there are with the security exchange and so forth. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And, the, and, the, and as, as you know, like you said, innately, most investors want to keep growing and keep scaling. There are multiple ways and multiple steps, but it's better to have that set up in place ahead of time, understanding the benefits, the downsides to the different structures and really pick a direction, right? Like you could be a professional athlete, but pick a sport, right? You're going to be a great baseball player. You're going to be a great hockey player and, and really tune in on, on that particular agreement so that you can share that and, and know what's right ahead of time, right? If you can't skate, maybe baseball's where to go, right? But uh, um, I think uh, this is a lot of amazing information and, and it's so useful for, for our, our listeners that are wanting to scale or see themselves as they grow and, and working and having amazing partners like Carson Law in their corner and, and Adam, you know, obviously coming to the table and, and, and sharing so much info with our listeners, it, it gives that, you know, that future hope that there is that way to do it. There's just a proper way, a whole nother textbook or five to read through and learn and, and, and gain on. But uh, yeah, so much, so much info uh, today, guys. Uh, I think we've reached the point of the, uh, of the podcast that we're going to do our lightning round. So gentlemen, are you guys ready for the, uh, the lightning round? All right. So first answer that comes to mind, you guys can each answer you want if you have an answer. So number one, what is the best advice that you have ever received from another investor or an, at a networking event? You can go ahead, Adam. I like to, to trust, uh, trust, you know, kind of the, the initial feel that I get from somebody, but do the homework. So it's like, it's very respectful, very trustful, second guessing everything that I get. Awesome. Ryan? Uh, I would just say know, know your value add, know your value proposition for your prospective, you know, uh, clients, investors. And, you know, if it's not, if you don't feel like it's working out, then you have to adapt. You have to find a, a new value add or a new way of presenting your value. All right. Question number two. What is your favorite real estate investing resource? Resource? Um, honestly, owners. So... As opposed to say, you know, my realtor or my this or my that owners, the people who actually currently own something that you may want to own. That's great. What about you, Ryan? I said the right club. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to stick to that because you were just on our podcast recently. So stick to the same answer. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> All right. Next question. Number three, Adam will ask you first, what is the one attribute that has made you most successful? That's pretty easy. Hyper curious. I'm just so curious. So I was a financial advisor for almost 15 years and um, ended up becoming one of the one of the top in the country, recognized one of the top in the country in that in that space. And it, it wasn't because I was so good with finance or so good with with money. It was because I was innately curious about every one of my clients, how they got there, what they needed, why they did it, why we're going to do this. And I'm just so curious. I, I mean, I'm even curious about about how you guys were able to build up your membership to the size that it is. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm respectful of stuff like that, but I'm curious, like I wanna hear the story. So for me, it's been, I'm curious every day. Awesome, that's great. Happy to share if you, uh, if you wanna know how we built it, but I think it's, uh, 
you know, I think it's, it's over time. Nothing happens day one, but uh, you provide value and, and people keep coming back. And hopefully that's what we keep doing. Ryan, what about you? Uh, just say hard work, hustle, uh, staying on task, you know, setting, setting a task, setting a goal, uh, constantly, you know, determining whether or not I achieve that goal. If I, if I did great, set a new one, set, set, a, set the bar higher. Um, if, if I didn't, because, uh, you know, we, we probably fail twice as many times as we succeed. It's making sure when you do fail to pick yourself back up that extra time and go the extra mile. So it's just that sort of thing, that drive. And, um, and I wouldn't be where I, I am today without just having a good support team around me. So everybody works with me, everybody, uh, you know, all my clients and colleagues, uh, you know, they're, that's extremely important. So I've got a good team. So I'm thankful. That's great. Awesome. All right. Wrapping up the lightning round on a typical Sunday morning. What are you guys up to? Brian, we'll start with you. Is this uh, COVID COVID Sunday morning or, uh, <laughs> Sure. Uh, how about, you know what, let's change it up for the sake of this. What's an ideal Sunday morning? No limitations, no COVID, an ideal Sunday morning. You know, I, ideal Sunday morning for me is, you know, I've got uh, two kids and my wife and, and the family dog. So typically get up, you know, take the dog for a walk, uh, uh, go hit the, hit the home gym. And then uh, the kids are up and at them and it's usually off to hockey or baseball coaching and then uh, dance and, um, you know, that's, that's typically the, the usual and ideal, uh, time for me, uh, you know, as a family person, but, um, you know, if it's uh win the lottery type of Sunday, then it's probably sitting on a beach, buddy. For, for me, actually not so dissimilar to, to Ryan, um, Ryan and I, we've been friends for about 13 years, 12 or 13 years. I've been doing business for together for about that, that same time but uh and, and our kids are actually very similar in age and very similar in what they do so for me on a sunday morning i'm an early riser um seven days of the week not just five days of the week i'm often so again the pre-covid stuff I'm, I'm often up at 4 30 uh weekends maybe not quite so call it five ish but uh so i'm up early uh sunday for me is a mixed day meaning i don't i take saturdays off generally completely meaning i don't do any work whatsoever it's what i call a free day and but Sundays for me are a bit of a, a mixed mixed day where I, I like to do a little bit of work. So try to organize my week before everybody gets up uh, the week that's going to be upcoming. But uh, my, my kids are active, too. So it's I'm likely in a rink somewhere and or at a dance competition. All right. Sounds fun. So, Adam, where can the Right Club Nation reach out if they wanted to know more? Yeah, sure. Well, our, our business is. Uh, Two sevens capital.com, T W O S E V E N S capital.com. And I'm on Instagram and, and whatnot at Adam Batstone. Uh, the business is on Instagram at two sevens capital. It's not, not too difficult, but yeah, happy to, happy to hear from anybody. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, Ryan, what about you? You can find all my contact coordinates all at uh, carsonlaw.ca or you can uh, visit us at the right club. Awesome. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Thank you for joining us and, uh, and look forward to seeing you guys at, on the webinars or at the Right Club soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Sarah. And yeah, thanks, guys. Right Club Nation, an amazing, amazing interview with, uh, with Ryan and Adam. And 
wow, I was like, whew, my stomach was, uh, was like, oh my God, I was getting like excitement nerves and like, you know, uh, nervous nerves about, you know, the possible ways of growing and structuring like a huge, huge, you know, real estate investment trust or a private equity firm and, and how you can partner with so many people and how to scale that. So um, I don't know, Sarah, I, I know, you know, we've been talking about growing our businesses and our real estate uh, portfolios and doing it different ways. Like, what did you think of that interview? That was something really that I'm going to chew on for a bit here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I was talking to uh, George Dubay, Peter Coutini at one point about this type of structure as uh, as the real estate empresses are acquiring some bigger deals in land and, and building. And so that was actually the structure, the GPLP structure that uh, that they had recommended. So it's great to, to hear it also from a legal point of view from Ryan and, and also from Adam, who's doing it and doing it successfully. So it's, um, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of like other things as well. Like, you know, I don't even know that I don't know about the structure, but it's, uh, it's definitely quite interesting. It's, uh, it's good to know that there's something bigger, but it's achievable, right? So sometimes you think of this stuff and I even think of like rates as something that's not necessarily, you know, achievable that fast. Like you have to be quite sophisticated, but I don't know, maybe this is like a good, time to, to explore these things right i mean i don't know how long have you been doing real estate for a few years myself as well it's uh it's good to see that like what else is out there as we're scaling absolutely and as you acquire and you get more knowledge and you work your th way through the real estate world you're going to see things that you'd liked when you first got involved and you know uh, and then as you continue to progress and learn more and experience and and get more contacts and build that community of people that within your, you know, we always talk about the five people, but even about the 25, 50 people, 100 people that you're contacting with, getting information from this podcast included. Uh, there's so much amazing good knowledge and information being shared out there. Just Google something. But as, as you keep growing, you're going to decide on what that path is. And we want to bring the best of the best of the people that are doing it their way and real life experiences and not just theory. These people are in the trenches that are doing it every day. I'm sure before this podcast, after this podcast, they're signing agreements, looking at potential things, reporting to their investors. They're in the midst of doing it, not just talking about it on this podcast. They're kind enough to share their time and explain it to us. And we're going to definitely have to have them on again as we build, you know, real estate trusts and communities and private equity and all that kind of stuff and do those things. And for those listeners out there that have that aspiration to do that, you know, this is a great launching point and a great starting off point. If you haven't already started investigating that. And, and that's the kind of information and knowledge that we want to share, whether whatever that, that, strategy, whatever that goal, that's something that you want to accomplish. The right club wants to be there for you to help you succeed in that goal and help you accomplish that goal. Even if it's just moving it one inch further, one supplier to get, you know, cheaper baseboard at a, at, a, at your flip or, you know, information on where you can find legal help and all these different things of all the aspects of it. We don't know what you need out there until you ask for it. So uh, I do ask uh, the right club nation, let us know what you want to hear more. Of. What do you need in your life, in your business, uh, and your real estate world that uh, that we can help you with, and Sarah and I, and uh, as well as Daniel and Laurel, the Right Club founders, um, and and the Right Club community, we're all here for uh, for that help and that growth. Yeah, absolutely, we're all here. We're here to grow. So, Right Club Nation, thank you for coming again, tuning in this week, and don't forget, come and grow with us. See you next time, Sarah. Thanks for listening to the Right Club podcast and joining our community of real estate investors online at therightclub.com, where the focus is about helping you grow. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks from your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi.